Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are just having a great day. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, standing next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going? Uh, it's going very well. You switched up that intro because I know that bothers a lot of people that it's identical every time. You do read the comments, don't you? Uh, I, don't, I haven't read the comments. <laughs> I've actually been retold the comments by you. I oh, think. gosh. Uh, yeah, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing fantastic. I am doing great. We hope everybody else is doing great. If this is the first time you are tuning in, hit that subscribe button, both on YouTube and the podcast side of things. If you like the work that we're putting out here and you want to follow along with everything, best place to get that is probably my Twitter, at Focus Compound. Um, we also use a website called quickfs.net all the time uh, to get financial information, uh, historical financial records. It's 35 bucks a month. It's clean. It's quick. It's easy. You can pull financial models if you do sign up. Uh, tell them that you came from Focus Compounding and that will help us out a little bit. So in today's podcast, we're going to talk about something we haven't talked about in a very long time, and it's our favorite books, Crap. investing books. Mm-hmm. The more obscure, the better. For I, this podcast, because otherwise we're recommending the same things all the time, like this book here. This is a very obscure title here. Yes, that is very the, obscure. The Snowball. The Some snowball. people are listening to us on audio. And like yeah, so. yeah, that's true. <laughs> and my favorite books nowadays are... They're business books. We always mm-hmm. talk about, I mean, finance books, I don't really care about that much, but I really love just like um, stories about building these companies that I follow in the market, even if we're okay. never going to own it. We're never going to own, um, you know, Copart, most likely. It's not really right. in our wheelhouse, uh, but it was a lot of fun to read about that business. We're never going to own it. Junk to Gold, own, very good book. Yeah, yeah. Junk to Gold, mm-hmm. uh, um, Dollar General, My Father's Business. Yep. That was a wonderful book. I really mm-hmm. am obsessed with obscure business books. I know people like ask us, people ask like, what are the other great books that are as good as those two? I say, oh, sorry, we told you some of the, like, I wish they all were as good as those no, two. No, exactly, yeah. Those are like much better uh, Quench your own books. Thirst, yeah, those are much Boss better books just in terms of like the the people involved in the story they give you behind the family and, and all sorts of things like growing up and stuff. Yeah. So th- those are, yeah. I mean, the most of the ones you're going to read are not as good as that, I would say. They're a little more corporate fluff things and stuff, unless you get a really good biography. Uh-huh. Um, I got to do a new tweet thread is what okay. I got to do, ask for people, because I have a bunch of new followers since the last mm-hmm. time I did it, because I always just get a bunch of good ideas. And Yeah, I, I like really, like really uh, books about long, long times ago, more than you do. I know you did read the Rockefeller book, Titan. Titan yeah. Uh, that is one of my favorites. And also another favorite in that same category is uh, The First Tycoon, which is about Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. Both of those are very good. Andrew Carnegie has a book too. Yes. Or about Andrew Carnegie. Yeah, well, technically, I guess he did do an autobiography or something but yeah. about uh, charity and stuff. So what do we got here? I'm, I'm looking at a, a CD. I don't, even, is, I don't even know what that thing okay, is, by the way. This a one CD? is going to bother that? people. Because I don't know if you can look this up, uh, the pricing on this, but you're probably not going to want to buy this. Why is it like backwards? Or that's the front. They, they, they uh, <laughs> put the front, they put the CD on this. I buy used books. And so you Why can does see- it say stolen if found? Please, no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Yeah, so I buy used books and I mark them up myself. So I don't feel as bad about marking them up and stuff. So this is one that was probably a, a reference copy at a... Um, Library. In fact, you can see that. And usually it tells you something like this is no longer a, a copy of the library or whatever, unless someone stole it there. But um, the problem here is the price. So that's why I was saying I don't know if we know the price of this. But I think Distant Force is a book that a lot of people aren't going to want because I think the used market for it is still pretty high. How much? So uh, I don't, it could, you know, I mean, so what happens is I buy these books, and I've talked about this before. In some cases, I've made more money on some books than I've made on stocks in terms of the. The, I had 10 baggers in books, let's put it that way. Um, and so uh, so these are things that I, once I buy, sometimes I won't sell. Yeah, but the that. important question is how much was this book? Uh, the book now, I think, will be more than what I paid for it. 
Okay, which is how much? I'm just going to look it up. Okay, go ahead and look it up. I just want to be surprised if the market is in the hun- uh, over $100 or What's something right now. Um, Distant Force, Teledyne. So um, the other thing is that the book is very boring. Okay. So a lot of people will buy it and then they won't enjoy it because it's a very dry, boring sort of book and mm-hmm. they feel like they paid a lot for it. And it's not a general interest book. It's about Teledyne. How much is it? Currently unavailable on Amazon. Maybe let's go to eBay. It, it's got to be available and used and stuff on Amazon. Completely unavailable? That's what it said. Maybe that Amazon app doesn't actually show you their used market. Anyway, and of course it comes with the lovely uh, DVD thing. But uh, I like it. And if you want a really good history of Teledyne, uh, this is the thing to do. So Teledyne uh, was Henry Singleton, and mm-hmm. Buffett talked about how he's the best capital allocator of all time. And if you just want to get that history here, it's a good thing to have. It's kind of like the memoirs of Ben Graham, which I enjoy and um, can also sometimes get a bit pricey in the market. Um, but other people hate sometimes because large parts of it are not really about his career and stuff. And then they're just very specific things. So they're like tell you about actual um, sit- situations that happened here. So this like goes through each year and they're... Um, so it's got nothing there for you? Anyway. Literally nothing. Okay. Well, it doesn't have it on Amazon that it shows you the used market. It would show you. I've seen the used market for it before and stuff. It, it should be there. So there's nothing when you look under used for it? Currently unavailable. All right. Anyway, I wouldn't be surprised if unless you're very good at how you buy it and stuff, you might have to spend $100 or something on this one. But it's uh, so it's a history from someone who worked at the company and stuff that basically tells you about what they did. So it's specific acquisitions, annual reports and things. It's just the best that you could have of that. It's kind of like if you, there's just so little talked about Teledyne and how interesting and successful it was that this is the book to buy. If you want kind of that complete history, there have been magazine articles and things about it. You could get them probably for free and stuff at libraries. How long have you had that book for? Um, I may have bought and sold this book at a profit more than once. Oh, you're just scalping that arbitrage. <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've uh, pro- at least five copies of it have passed through my hands. Same thing with the Ben Graham memoirs. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. What else we got here? Well, this one everyone knows about and stuff probably. You read this one? Oh, yeah. Masters of Our Time? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So these are good. They came out with a bunch of different versions of this, of different Money Masters. But what I like about it is just the... Um, you know, who's in it, and then you can find out more about that person if you find out that they're really interesting. So sometimes you find someone and they're very interesting. So, of course, if you look up the Ben Graham chapter, the Phil Fisher chapter, not going to be that interesting, John Templeton. But then after you read that, you can find a book just about them. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing that I find very interesting. So the um, the Henry Singleton one is the Teledyne one, Distant Force. That's just, for people listening to this, just learn about Teledyne. You don't have to get that book. Um, in fact, I don't get that book because you'll be disappointed. You'll say you paid too much and it was boring. Um, but I like it a lot and, uh, but I like a lot of those kinds of books. Like I said, I enjoy the memoirs of Ben Graham a lot and then finding newspaper articles and stuff that you can find of the same time. So you can learn about the Northern pipeline contest and things he mentioned specifically and find out like exactly what contemporary reporting was. I've always liked doing that going and reading historical newspapers. Yeah. What else we got? Hidden Champions. Hidden you Champions. publicly says it's one of your favorite books. This is one of my favorite, and this is the original Hidden Champions. I actually like Hidden Champions and Hidden Champions of the 21st Century. They're both fine. Uh, again, this is the I don't know if I can recommend this book to everyone because some people hate this kind of book. Like, you know how some people hate Good to Great and Built to Last yeah. and books like that? Mm-hmm. And I find them interesting, but I think it's because people feel like with those kinds of books, they're telling you 
like this is how you're supposed to run your business and this is like the secret and if you do this you'll be successful or whatever you mm-hmm. know so they get worked up that like some of the companies built to last or whatever then fail afterwards mm-hmm. uh, after that time or whatever or like it's not statistically you know it's not very rigorous and stuff in terms of how you do it but I find it interesting because it gives me histories of all these companies that I wouldn't otherwise know about it points you to them to learn about it yourself and um, it kind of gives you information about that kind of thing that I then go out and get info from. And I found a stock in this book that would have been a great performer for me if I bought it. I researched it in depth, did not buy it, and it would have certainly been a 10-bagger. What was the stock? It's a core company in Portugal. So you can find out for yourself what that is, but it's the biggest of those companies. So there's two versions of this. There's Hidden Champions of the 21st Century, and there's this one. Um, I don't know if I'm going to recommend any differences between them. So you've had a little bit of a transition lately. Okay. I'm not I don't, I don't see the Kindle. Where is it? Did you throw the it Kindle's away? Kindle's hidden away. It doesn't it isn't used for reading you, business you books. You have switched to hard, hard copy. Yeah. Why is used. that? Hard copy. Yeah, we'll use this. It's cheap, uh, right? it's hard on a lot of things to get Kindle for the books I want anyway. So more obscure books mm-hmm. and stuff they never were put out on Kindle. And then two, um, it's just cheaper, cheaper usually for the used ones. And then I find it easier. And this is everyone else is going to disagree with me on this, but just like I don't have a phone, people know that I don't have a, a, a smartphone or whatever. I, I actually don't carry a phone of any kind. Um, I find it easier to take notes, remember things, et cetera, by actually doing it in, in the books. So I don't know if we have one here that I probably didn't take any of the ones that I actually marked up a bunch. So there's no way to tell from this. I probably took the copy that isn't marked up. No, here, here's a copy that's marked up. So you can look through this. Davis Dynasty? Yeah, the Davis Dynasty. So that's a good example of what I mark up. And then I read through, oh yeah, and here, this is even better. This is the Peter Condon book. So I read the book and then as I read through it multiple times, I mark it up. Andrew is so lazy. He'll never be like this. Uh, Your your name does appear in the book (laughs) from time to time. It doesn't say Uh, But your name does appear in the book from time to time. So it will have things almost like an investment journal of it'll be things like there might be things in there that you can't read out loud because it talks about some stock that we are looking at and that the public doesn't know we're looking at and stuff. So it will each time it will relate differently for me actively reading this book than the time before. And so I'll pass through many times. If I have more than one copy of a book, I'll only mark up one copy so that it keeps happening so that I can get a denser and denser read of it over time where I keep relating it to new things that I've been looking at. Let me look at it. And well, see. I'm just saying, yeah. like, you got to know right here. So talking about like a journal, you say yeah. my approach is 10 baggers, the rule of 240. And then you wrote some other. There you go. Page. And it has something to do with what was written there, which we don't know. But there was something in the book that made me think that. Um, and then other times I just circle things and stuff like Cleveland Cliffs and stuff because he talked about that. And then I write things down about how. It's and really like you, you're studying as opposed to like just casually reading it. If you don't believe the book was used, someone else had put notes in it <laughs> yeah, before sure. I did. But it doesn't bother me at all doing that. But this is, of course, the way I do 10Ks and stuff. So, um, and there's a lot of things like, uh, so yeah. So I, like I mentioned here, I need to buy copies of all of Graham's books. Yeah. So he was talking about Graham and Dodd and stuff. I circled that and said something about me needing to do that. And, um, sometimes there's math on it. That's a common one for me to do. Calculate the Kagers. If someone says something about how big the return is and whatever, I then calculate stuff. I'm surprised more people don't talk about Peter Kundal. Yes. I love this book and everything I've ever, everything I've ever read about him, I, I, took something away from it. Yeah, I mean, that's a great... So, yeah, so the book is called There's Always Something to Do. I read it on a Kindle, though. I yeah, think. that's fine. Yeah. There's Always Something to Do, and this is just one of my favorite investment books of all. It's not just whether his approach was the best or not the best or whatever, but it is about... 
um, because you have these investment journals, there's just so much detail in them that you wouldn't, wouldn't normally get, and yet not really hindsight in them in, in necessarily in the same way that you get with modern books. Um, and it doesn't talk a lot about the philosophy and stuff. It's just like a investment biography almost. There's mm-hmm. very little at the beginning and very little at the end that's at all about any other aspects of his life. So My favorite line from this book is when he was talking about hangovers. <laughs> yeah. He said, hangover, hangovers suck, but it's so fun getting there. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's funny. He looks like a professional athlete. He was very big in like running and stuff, yes. wasn't he? Yep, very big in running, yeah. Interesting. Um, Man for All Markets? Yeah, oh, Davis Dynasty. Did we talk about that? So Davis Dynasty oh. has three parts to it. It's three generations of the Davis family. The one that was the most interesting to me is the one who invested in insurance stocks and became very rich yeah. from it, um, basically turning in a matter of tens of thousands of dollars into almost a billion dollars over about half a century. Did it on margin and did it almost entirely in insurance stocks. We did a whole podcast on him. Yeah. yeah. So, and the Davis double play is a concept from here, but it shows up in other things too, which is basically the idea of getting both an increase in your price to earnings, uh, in your earnings and your price to earnings both. So like buying a growth stock at a low P, yeah. it'll be a high P when you're done with it. Mm-hmm. This is one of my favorite books total. Um, I don't know if I would call it an investing book. That's the part that's a Why is that? That is kind of surprised me. That is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, because it has it doesn't really have anything to do with like what okay. See, like Peter Kondo, I could see that Davis Dynasty. Okay, Hidden Champions. Yes, anything Warren Buffett. Yes, like that's kind of a different world. Okay, so this is uh, Ed Thorpe, a man for all markets, and it is. Uh, so first of all, if people want to read this, I highly recommend reading Fortune's Formula first. And I strongly recommend that for people. I also recommend that if people want to learn about the Kelly formula and stuff, the Kelly criterion, that the best basis on which to do that is not to go find a Wikipedia page or something about it or whatever, but to actually read Fortune's formula, read this, and then you can go worrying about the uh, Kelly criterion and stuff. Um, So this is an interesting life. Uh, And so basically he wrote a couple books. Um, One is he learned a system for card counting for basically I don't want to say that he was the first card counter and stuff but the first systematic treatment of card counting in blackjack is by him um and that was beat the dealer and also he uh had a bit of a career in science before then but the interesting part is the part where he tries to go with a roulette wheel and in that time is dealing with Claude Shannon and mm-hmm. some, some of that is very interesting too it's a very interesting personality there. that's in fortune's formula yeah yeah and um then he came up with a method for valuing warrants basically and doing that in fact it's interesting there's one reference to something in money uh in uh, Money Masters of Our Time and stuff that someone talks about being an investment that he was in, he was actually short a stock that he was long the warrants on. Um, And it was a weird sort of thing. Um, But just noticing that I was reading those two books, this was one of the worst experiences for someone in that book that they had a shorting something and he was actually long the warrants. But he would have this method for basically arbitrage stuff. Mm -hmm. And a main way of it is valuing warrants of a stock versus the stock itself. So you could be like short the stock and long the warrants and things like that, especially uh, some of the things he describes early on are warrants that were trading that were far out of the money, you know, but they had a long time left on them. And so there was some chance that they would go up by that much, especially if the volatility of the stock was very high. 
although in some cases it's even more than that, it, like one case he describes, it, I mean, he may have just analyzed it from the perspective of the volatility and stuff, but actually some things fundamentally changed about the business a lot. It, it reminds me of an early thing in Graham's memoirs where he talks about a bankrupt um, railroad company and he valued it like a warrant. So just his way of thinking about things I found very interesting. Uh, a very logical thinker, some things like that. There's little things about his very early life that reminded me of things about my self. I could, uh, uh, some of them were exactly the same and stuff. So that was interesting. Um, but, uh, it is definitely one of my favorites Mm -hmm. because it's a way of thinking about thinking and about markets and things like that games markets that is different from how we would do things. Of course he, he did invest, uh, uh, he did, um, uh, know Warren Buffett, Hmm. you know? So part of what he talks about here, and I think it's, I don't remember if it's mentioned at all in Fortune's Formula, but it is in here, is that he... Um, I actually pulled up the thing. It says Bridge with Buffett. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So there you go. So the, he, it was a thing where he was basically being vetted by someone who thought Buffett was the best um, person knowing about investments for him. And so he wanted to make sure that this guy was okay. And Buffett said, yeah, go with this guy. You know, that's fine. It's a totally different strategy, but just that he was legitimate and stuff like that. Yeah, he's actually talking about it. As we chat about compound interest, Warren gave me one of his favorite examples of its remarkable power. That's funny. How if the Manhattan Indians could have invested $24, the value then of the trinkets Peter... Minute paid them for Manhattan in 1626. Actually, mm-hmm. What's-His-Face has talked about that, um, Monish Pabrai. Yes, because it's in one of Buffett's partnership letters where he talks about it. Uh-huh. Yeah, And, um, yeah, it's very interesting and one of my favorites. It has some other stuff in it, too, though, because, weirdly, it has some stuff that relates to other people and things in it. Like, one of the good examples is it gets a little tied up with... Um, uh, Michael Milken and stuff like that. Uh, and then there's an investigation of his firm and all sorts of other things. So it also has a little bit about m- managing money and the experiences he had of that. So have mm-hmm. you read this one? Uh, I haven't read this one, no. Yes. No. So that will be interesting to you because he had a firm that was um, one person did one side of things and he did the other side of things. So he did the investing side of things and the other person did the marketing side of things and stuff and the experience that they had and whether it went well or poorly. And I will leave the, you in suspense about that one. Interesting. Um, Is this a foreshadow? <laughs> well, hopefully it involves less of a federal investigation, but you know. Um, Benjamin Graham on investing. Yes. So Ben Graham, I like three books. Uh, not three books, but I'll recommend three books. Uh, I like the 1949 edition of The Intelligent Investor as the best edition. People ask about that. I like the 1940 edition of Security Analysis the best. But then there's also this book. So there's two books that are collections of writings of Ben Graham. And one of them is Ben Graham like building a profession or something like that. But Benjamin Graham on investing is pretty good because it collects a bunch of the sorts of things that he would write about, and you get more of a practical sense of what sorts of things he did. So if we can see here, if you look at some of the, how specific some of these are, right? Yeah. Um, do you want to read some of the titles there? Valuation of Great Northern Oil Certificates, Inspirations, right. Difficulties, and Achievements in 1917, Nevada Consolidated, Secrets of Invested Capital. Right. So um, let's see. So there's other ones. Which hidden- is the best? Sugar stock. Right. Hidden assets of consolidated gas, bargaining hunting through the bond list. So they're specific to the time that he was investing, and they're way back very early in his career. Wow. So some of these are, he, he got to Wall Street in what, 1914. So about five years, three, four, five years later, he's already writing things here that you can see. And there are examples that are kind of the kind of things that we would do or something of like actual stock write-ups. Mm-hmm. He compares different things and stuff in real time with active stocks to compare, you know, which one is the more attractive one and stuff like that. So writing articles about 
about them, but not general articles, but articles that are very specifically about, you know, um, like here, eight stock bargains off the beaten track, right? (laughs) And so he goes into great detail with them, and you can see them, eight long-term opportunities and low-priced issues, six bargains, you know, um, and you can find... Look at those formulas and stuff. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. So everyone's always asking for formulas. They would yep. love this. Well, it's all in here. I mean, this is even more. If you take it all together, it's even more. If security analysis wasn't, um, pra- uh, I don't know, practical. If it wasn't specific enough with actual case studies and stuff for you, then this is even more so in that direction. Now, I know most people like the intelligent investor better than security analysis, and don't really care for this as much. But I like all the live examples and stuff like that of it. So this is one I highly recommend to add to your Ben Graham collection is Benjamin Graham on investing. Mm-hmm. And it has a title that sounds like it would be something you wouldn't be interested in because there's so many of these that kind of play off their Well, their I like names. case study investing. When I say like don't read finance books, I, I always enjoy books that are based on case studies, mm-hmm. you know, where they go back in time or they kind of take you through what they were seeing. Or- right. And Ben Graham always likes to do these comparative approaches of things where he compares like two stocks in the same industry or whatever they might be. So... Uh, it, it's one that I definitely recommend that way. No, that's the editor. And yeah, stuff, I was right? say, who are yeah. these guys? No, yeah. it's not Ben Graham. I was actually telling Jeff recently that I haven't read the classics in probably four or five years. Okay. And I've certainly acquired a lot of like knowledge and, uh, and stuff like that over the past four or five years. So I want to go back and reread a lot of them because mm-hmm. I'm sure I'll take something new away. Because I actually um, did that recently with the book. I actually read the Warren Buffett way. And I just felt like I took a lot more away from it you know now than i did four years ago yeah and that's why i find you so with marking the books up and so that you keep it with with each of your um what i would say like your current investment problems and stuff you learn something different from it each time because really it's about like i would talk about how i want to take something away from the book it's not very important to me whether the book is good or not like people say that all the time we talked about that a little bit with um um, Bill Gates. Do you know some Bill Gates the one say that the problem is that it takes longer to read a bad book than a good book? Yeah, because yeah, he's marking it up yeah, and stuff. That, that's true for me too. So, um, yeah, so I have little things here that are just things about, stu- that can even be things about, uh, um, yeah, like here's one. I mean, I won't get into reading what exactly this is, but it's talking about Irving Kahn and stuff like that and just about how he was able to get through things when there weren't opportunities and stuff like that. And I, I was my reminding... Name myself of that i see my name where do you see your name? i see bottom left what does that say oh yeah yeah i see what that says yeah um, <laughs> what does it say? <laughs> so yeah so there's all sorts of things like that in there so what i mean though is that i'm trying to you make a book your own you know mm. you just need to get out like what it works I like how for you're using you like a journal yeah. yeah you just need to get out what it works for you you don't need to take out other things about it that are, are that approach i mean i read things about peter cundle and peter uh, and uh, uh Peter Kundal and Philip Fisher are very different approaches to investing, but I find a lot that I can take away from both of them for me. And yet on a spectrum, they're pretty much as far apart as possible. He's completely an asset based investor for like what the assets are now. Mm-hmm. And Fisher is completely investor based on what the earnings will be in the future. They couldn't be more different, but there's stuff I can find in each one of them. Also, these people manage money um, and had difficulties with that one way or the other going through experiences of um, times when it was when too much money was coming in, when not enough was coming in, when they were betting against something that was going up, when they were betting for something that kept going down, whatever it might be. And 
interpersonal things and whatever in those too that are also helpful in learning those things and so you mark them up and stuff like even just setting expectations for clients and then what you do when it's things are going too well what you do when they're not going well whatever mm-hmm. um, sort of stuff so there's all sorts of things in here where I say well yeah I should try this idea out for like this is something I should do this way or this reminds me of this stock that we have there um, yeah, like here it talks about how the funds AUM went up too much in, in sh- a short period of time and that, that obviously hurt their results after then I've marked that down and some math on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's a thing for us to keep in mind. We buy some things that are cheap the way he does and things um, that, you know, in the 90s or whatever, I felt like his AUM went up too fast and that, that hurt returns after that period, you know. He, and of course he doesn't say that in the book. Yeah. You know, but he gives the math that lets you, allows you to calculate that. Yeah, then you, know, you see to, what happened, right? right? Exactly. This is my favorite book. The Snowball. Yeah. I mean, you're a fan of it in audio, correct? Yeah, I've read yeah. it too, but I, I enjoy <laughs> listening to it. Yeah, yeah. Just because it's, it's easy to listen an, to. It's very well read. Yeah. That's a great book. Yeah. Look at these guys. Look at the way they dressed. Yes. All of them sitting around the bridge table, and they're all in their suit and ties. Uh, yes, that's with true. With a cigar in his mouth. My favorite story about Buffett in this was, actually it wasn't in this, this was in Becoming Warren Buffett. Uh-huh. They talked about Susie was like, incredibly sick and she needed oh, yes. him to grab uh she needed him to grab like a, a bowl or whatever because she was yeah. going to throw up and he brought like a strainer yeah and she's like no honey a, a bowl a bowl <laughs> I, i'm gonna get sick and he went back and grabbed a pan to put like the, the strainer the on strainer, you know yeah. so i thought mm-hmm. that was incredibly funny it's yeah. very interesting what are some other obscure books that we didn't talk about today i mean why drunk to gold to go on my father's business quench your own thirst um let me talk about them all pretty often yeah I mean, there are some that I, I mean, there's all sorts of weird things that I read that uh, I think I once sent out an email mentioning things that like I read a history of um, clipper ships and stuff uh, in, in the U.S., which are ships that could go particularly fast and um, the business of what that was like and stuff doing the China trade and some things like that. And um, I do read some very old business things mm-hmm. uh, and enjoy them when I can find those that I like there. The ones that are hard to finding on Amazon are things that are like, purely business things versus things that are a little more scandal, political, sensationalized, whatever, because they always give them a title nowadays that makes it sound like that, you know? Mm-hmm. But then you find out it's actually a perfectly serious book, you know? So um, I, I like You to, could be a stock market genius. Right, that's a great <laughs> example. It's, it's a great... Even if you're not that smart. <laughs> yeah, so I would never buy that book uh, based on the title. Yeah. But then it turns out to be a great book that way, and it is definitely one of my favorites. Well, he always calls it a really terrible title for a great book, or other people call it that, you know? Yeah, or at, at least because whoever it sold the copies to are probably people who didn't get much out of the book and then the people who would have gotten a lot out of it didn't read it because of the title. So my favorite one is his book called The Big Secret for the Small Investor. Yeah. And he always says, which is still a big secret because nobody bought the book. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's good. That's cool. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself, a man for all markets. These are all yeah, and that ones. one I would do with Fortune's Formula. I highly recommend. I really like you. your approach to it, though. I think I'm going to change up my strategy a little bit. I like how you you approach it more from like a a personal journal. Yes, this is how I, I journal. Basically, I write stuff into it, then investment stuff. I mean, honestly, I can't show you some of these because there are there will be pages where it will just talk about like, oh, here he is talking to management, and here's what happened when we talked to management, and here's this investment we're thinking about, and let me, you know. Yeah. So it, anything could be in it that way. And That's then I've read stuff. through it multiple times for some of those books, yeah. Well, thank everybody so much for tuning with Jeff and myself on the Focus Compounding Podcast. If you're listening on the podcast side of things, hit that subscribe button. If you're listening and watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button as well. Thank you so much for the support. And we will see you in the next podcast.